Welcome, listeners, to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. This is episode three of season two, and we're very grateful that you're joining us today for this vital conversation. Here at Someone to Tell It To, we believe that everyone matters, that everyone has a story to tell, and that that story can make a difference in the world. A story, we hope, that can make the world more compassionate, more caring, and more kind. Today's guest is Dale Fallon, the founder of the Communication Gym, and he is from the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area. We live very close by to him. We found that we have a lot in common with Dale, that he, you know, just shares so many things that we do and some of his life experiences in learning about people and how we communicate and sometimes more importantly, how we don't communicate very well. And uh, there's a synergy, and we hope that you'll hear that in this conversation today. Dale will talk about vulnerability. He'll talk about the workplace and communication there. We'll talk about things that uh, can help us all to learn, we hope, to communicate better, to listen better, to understand one another more. So we hope you'll enjoy this today. We sure did. Welcome, Dale. Thank you. It's It's a privilege to to have you in this conversation with us today, and welcome to our listeners to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. So, Dale, as we approach the last weeks of this year, we'd like to know what might be something you had hoped to do or experience in 2019, but still haven't yet. Something I'd hoped to do? I don't know. It's been a pretty eventful year. I've done quite a few things. Um, I honestly don't. I think the short, the, the quickest answer that comes to my mind is spend more time with my grandson. But I've spent a ton of time with him, so it's been a great year. I've, I've been to London to watch some uh, real football and uh, had the chance to travel the country a little bit, so I've had a phenomenal year. That's good. We'll like to hear about some of those things today. Great. You have a very compelling story, and uh, we'd love for you to share some of that story with us today and, and with our listeners. Okay. Where do you want me to start? Wherever you, wherever you would like to start. Um, I guess I'll go back to um, how I got into coaching and how I got into communication development. Um, I was, and I'll, I'll, I'll give the fast version of the long story, um, I was uh, pretty misdirected or, or lacked guidance or any clear direction when I was a young kid. And uh, when my daughter came along, I, I realized that I was in a position of leadership. And um, as, as with many parents I've talked to, that my life changed dramatically and the decisions that I made and realizing that regardless of what I was doing, I was laying down a path for her and, and uh, I had some work to do to get myself where I needed to be. Um, I got lucky to be introduced um, to what was not even called coaching at the time. It was just professional development from a company called Resource Associates Group and they're still around. Um, but they introduced leadership and management training they had a very simple program. They had those leadership management and sales training programs. And then along with all of their programs, they involved a goal setting program. So to teach people how to do basic goal setting it was very fundamental, um, but it was excellent. It was exactly what I needed. Uh, I'd been in athletics all my life. So being a coach was a pretty natural thing to me as well. And it came very easily. I, uh, I jumped in like, like I'm known to do with two feet, completely unprepared, and uh, started my own business, I think it was sometime around 22 or 23, uh, with two young children, and uh, surprisingly enough, failed miserably. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took me a couple years to, to um, figure that out and realize that my dream was still there, but I had to go back and do some, some rework 
Um, so I worked in another industry. I worked actually in the rental industry while I studied and took certification courses, knowing that uh, my destination would be coaching and working with people. Uh, so when I was uh, 30 years old, I started out um, as a small business coach with a client of mine who was expanding his business, and he was very generous, brought me on board. I had clients around the country, um, loved the work, happened to be pretty good at it, um, and, um, and and I guess that's kind of the jumping off point for the, for the professional side of things. Um, I continued to travel. The, the challenge was that there were clients all around the country. So my kids were relatively young at the time and I didn't want to spend 15 to 20 days a month on the road, which is about what the job required. So I came back home to the Harrisburg area and built a business, uh, a couple different iterations. One was called Your Team Coach. Another one was called um, Radical Results Coaching. So I kind of, you know, looked around for a little bit to do some things um, successful and, and did well with those. Uh, when I came to the gentleman by the name of Mark Overman, I haven't said that name in a while, but he's an old school, uh, he had Overman's rules of business, and uh, one of them was to work at the base of any industry that you're in. So if you're in the, uh, if you're in the basketball business, try to find a business, try to find something that serves everyone in that industry. So sneakers, everybody in basketball buys sneakers. So I was in the coaching and, and business coaching industry and what was at the base of that industry was communication and it was talking to the humans. Um, so um, I developed a concept that started basically with the fundamental actual skills of communication, not necessarily the th theoretical knowledge, not that it's not based on theoretical knowledge, but it's, uh, I kept looking around for training environments and different opportunities um, that allowed me to practice skills and there really weren't too many. Toastmasters is a great program, very specific and focused in presentation. Um, so the, the general concept of the communication gym was born, a place for you to work out your communication skills, to practice face-to-face -face communication and um, had an had a excellent run, uh, enjoyed that process very much. We worked with a lot of big clients and small clients and um, I guess that brings us up close to today. How about that for the start? <laughs> we look forward to talking more about the communication gym and just a lot of things that you've learned over the years, uh, both professionally and personally. But we'd like to start personally just to learn a little bit more about you and your relationship with your kids. Um, as a single dad, uh, some of the things that maybe have been especially hard for you uh, that you've learned a lot from. Wow. Um, the... The, um, probably some of the biggest challenges that I have faced in single parenting or, or being a coach who's supposed to, I guess you're not supposed to know, it's high to the, this half of coaching you're supposed to know everything and the other half is you're not supposed to know anything. Um, but as a coach and a father, it was really difficult to not be able to help my daughters and, and, and kids in general, but specifically my youngest daughter, get through some of the challenges she was facing when she was in high school and when she was going through some difficult changes in time. So it was, it was really tough to maintain a balance of parenting, discipline, compassion, listening, um, and without an outlet, without another, you know, partner in the, in the, in the mix there. Um, so that's probably the, the most difficult thing, but by far the most rewarding. We've made it, um, with each of the kids, we've had some, uh, tough times, I guess, with all parents do. 
um, but we have great relationships now, and I, I, I look forward to them. Yeah, look forward to what the future brings with those relationships too. You were able to celebrate the holidays with your kids. Yeah, I had an awesome time. Yeah, yeah. and got everybody together and really enjoyed it. That's good. So the communication gym. Let's talk a little bit about that. How yeah. did you choose that name? Where did that come from? Um, you know, it stripped down to the fundamentals. Um, when I started um, the communication gym, I was in martial arts at the time. And the martial arts program is relatively straightforward. I think most people understand you get the white belt first and you then move to the yellow belt and you can't learn the yellow belt stuff until you pass the white belt stuff. Um, so that basic progressive education model was the framework for what became known as the communication gym. And the name, I think the real goal was to call it what it is, uh, to not make it something you know fancy or ethereal. And when you walk in, you put your cell phones down and you open your mouth and you're going to have to talk. But one of the one of our guidelines is that there are no sidelines in the communication gym. You know, it's a place where you come to work and, and everybody has the opportunity and the need to develop their communication skills. As good as you are, you there's a comfort zone where you're not that good and, and you can learn skills and you can develop and continue to develop. So we promoted it as a, uh, as a lifestyle not a one-off. I think a lot of people look at communication training as, well, I go to the sales training and then I go to get better and then I park it. Well, you don't go to the gym for three weeks and then say, okay, good, I'm done with the gym now. I'm, I park it. You just it's, a, it's an ongoing practice. So that was one of the inspirations to make it fit the gym model. And then we also made it work with physical activity. Do the reps. You know, here are things that you need to learn. You're not going to learn them by reading them from a book. You're going to learn them by talking to another person and practicing saying those things and really trying to get over the, the discomfort that most people feel. So in this age of technology, what, what's that been like for people? What's the response been? They look to their phones real quick and go, oh, <laughs> Actually, that was the question. I was, I was going to yeah. ask a similar question. How do they react when you say put down the phones and you, you, know, you can't use them here? Uh, it's a really weird dynamic, interpersonal communication skills, because I cannot tell you how many times I've been told, well, I can do that if nobody's looking. Or I normally, I, I do this. What you're asking me to do, I do when I'm on a sales call. I just can't do it now which doesn't hold water to me, you know. I, again, as an athlete all my life, you, you can make free throws when people are watching, and you can make three free throws when people aren't watching. So if you can't do it, that's okay. It's not that the problem is that you're telling me you can't do it, or you can do it. Just try it. Be bad at it. Another fundamental is to fail first. Fail, fail with flair. You know, make a, <laughs> make a big effort at trying to do whatever the skill is that you're trying to learn and see how it goes. Mm. Yeah, the, the, the other reason for the safe environment of the gym is the first time for you to practice being assertive with your boss is not with your boss. The first time to say no to your boss is not with your boss. You want to do that with someone who's going to say, whoa, that was horrible, I was offended. <laughs> yeah. So you have a safe space with, with padded mats, you know, to use the martial arts analogy, and, and you're not going to get hurt if you try something new because you're in a safe environment where people are there to support you and challenge you and, and help you to improve. That reminds us of a friend of ours named Ken Blanchard, who those of us who are actively listening uh, may remember in season one, we had, we had Ken on our podcast, and Ken's often talked about how real communication happens when people feel safe. Yeah, absolutely. And doesn't happen when they don't feel safe. Right. So important in organizations, too. If your people don't feel safe to talk to you about things, they're not going to talk to you about things. Mm -hmm. And as a business owner, how important is that? 
because each person in your organization has a perspective on your organization and if they're sharing it with you you get a better perspective Mm -hmm. in most cases so how are we people in general falling short at communication today and how can we make that how can that be better (laughs) you know you know you know what what do you see are the problems why uh, why we're having those problems, and and then you know what can we do about we, that? We recently heard somebody say that if we can't solve it via email, texting, faxing, or phone calls, let's resort to meeting in person. <laughs> Worst case <laughs> yeah. scenario, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that might be a good description of the problem, right? Is people are looking first to all of these other avenues, um, and I, I think in many ways these avenues are are outs to get us out of interpersonal communication. Um, and, and I think we have to be honest too, a lot of people are bad at interpersonal communication. They don't know how to connect or they have, and, and, and I would say more specifically when it gets to things that are tense, things that are uncomfortable to say or things that are difficult to work your way through. And if you don't have success trying to work your way through or, or success actually working your way through with other people, we stop trying. You just pull back. And I think that's a case that a lot of people are in where either they never had success so they don't bother trying anymore or they've had some failures and some successes and hit or miss so they, they stay away from confrontational communication and they try to keep it safe. Um, uh, there's, there's so many great books out there about trust and the importance of trust um, that my my analogy is that the, the, the trust of the organization is the soil. And if it's not good and fertile and it doesn't have good nutrients in it, it doesn't matter what seed you put in it. There's not going to be very good fruit. Um, but if you continue to put deposits in the emotional bank account through good communication, through effective efforts at building and communicating together, then you can continue, you can re- revitalize the soil uh, and, and build a trusted environment where then your strategy can actually take hold. It doesn't mean you're going to succeed. You can put bad seeds in or put them at the wrong time of the year, even if the ground is fertile. But the ground being fertile is kind of the first and foremost thing, I think. So talking personally for you, where do you struggle at times to practice what you preach, so to speak, on communication? (laughs) Um, I probably don't practice as much as I could or should. I certainly still do practice. Um, Where I... I think where I think where I struggle is really deep authenticity. If that makes sense, I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole. Um, but I find a lot of communication is superfluous and, and, and mixes up and muddies up the waters. Uh, and I think the fewer words that you can say in communication to get the message across are almost always better. So I think one of my challenges is fewer words. You know, there's there's a saying that says, you know, if if you don't have something to add, just keep your mouth shut. I'm butchering the, the quote, but uh, uh, silence is better than meaningless communication. So I think it's where I'm at now. Yeah, and talking about that, I mean, especially we find with a lot of work cultures that people are under this uh, mindset where authority kind of creates. Um, the kind of culture you're looking for mm-hmm. and I think Ken you know in some of his books he's talked about how influence is more important than authority yeah and we've found that to be true 
and trust. I think that the building that you mentioned trust and how important that is. We we talk about that all the time as a foundational element. People, they're not going to open up to you. They're not really going to talk with you, be vulnerable, be vulnerable with you, be authentic if there isn't trust. And Absolutely. so that's that's just so important. And and you you, you get you again talked about authenticity. You, can you say more about that? What that what that means to you? Well, I think I can mesh it with what you just spoke about there in terms of leadership and authority. Um, if you if you wield authority without authenticity, if you wield authority without trust, then you're taking away from that cult. You're taking away from the soil. You're, you're taking the nutrients out of the soil. Um, if you see it as your responsibility as the leader, as the owner, to influence through trusting, through, through trusted ways, by, by nurturing the soil, um, doing things that are consistent with trust, trust being honest, being authentic, um, keeping to your word. There's a great book called The Four Agreements. Are you familiar? Mm -hmm. Fantastic book. Uh, yeah, one that you can go back to every year and, and keep challenging yourself on. Um, but doing those things continue to help you have greater influence by raising the level of trust. Um, authority is, I've, I've worked in everything from three-person organizations to 10,000-person organizations, and authority is necessary sometimes, and it works sometimes. But without, without trust, without a without relationship, um, it, it's such a much more difficult slug. It's it's a harder harder call. Reminds us of an interview we had her with Dr. Brene Brown. Are you familiar with her work? She's written extensively on the topic of vulnerability. And for those of you who tune into our writing or listen to us speak, we we are constantly quoting her. Um, it's just yeah, so many profound things that she has to offer the world. Uh, especially the times that we're in. But remember, one of the interviews, uh, she was asked by a CEO, she was speaking to a lot of CEOs of a lot of big companies, and one of the CEOs pulled her aside during the break, and he's saying, so basically, I should go and tell all of my clientele that our business is tanking. And she jokingly said, well, if you want to have a company, you probably don't want to do that. Right. But I would suggest that you have a couple people in your corner with whom you could be truly authentic and open with. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's really one of the things that I've found through 20 plus years of executive coaching and listening to those executives and owners. In, in so many cases, they don't have that person or people to talk to. And they also see vulnerability as such a weakness because you can't go talk to your employees and say, hey, guys, we're 10 grand short next week. Where's it coming from? It's your job to solve that. It's your job to fix that problem, at least their perspective of it. Um, and I think the, the stronger you are in developing a core culture that allows you to trust the right people, and, and, it's, and it's totally fair. You don't go preaching it from the mountaintops. Um, but developing a good core of uh, a hardcore trust, you don't have to take it all on your own. So how do you encourage uh, or help people to understand that vulnerability is not weakness, mm. necessarily? That, that, in fact, that can be a great strength. Oh, it is a great strength. Yeah. It, it definitely is. I think the first, part, the first part that I have found in my experience is to be vulnerable with self. Because you have to be honest with self. And a lot of people, as entrepreneurs especially, who have worked with thousands, you have to be a little bit dishonest with self. You have to say, well, I know I can do this. I can make this thing happen. I can cross this, you know, I, I can, whatever the world tells me, I can make my thing happen. And you, and you convince yourself of that. So 
the skill set to become to to turn nothing into something as an entrepreneur becomes a bit of a liability as you go forward and say, well, how how do I now in, inject vulnerability into that? How do I now be honest about my circumstances when I do have these real challenges, this this real investigation that's happening, or this real financial trouble that we've had? Um, and the first step is to look in the mirror and realize that you have the strength to do it, and, and that's a big... That's a vulnerable thing to do. Oh, it's huge, especially for entrepreneurs who are used to throwing it all on their own shoulders. And, and it's not something you, you know, they're, they're justifiably, they're justifiably scared to, in, to entrust other people with that. I can tell you, uh, the analogy that I use all the time is I have been told by a hundred CEOs with white knuckle grip on the wheel, I need somebody to help me take this wheel. And I say, okay, well, look at your hands first. The first thing we have to start with is your hands because nobody's going to take the wheel from you until you loosen up your grip a little bit. And then there's a whole list of things that have to happen. But the first thing is you gotta, you got to look in the mirror and loosen up that grip. We were recently talking with one of our board members who has read our first book, Someone to Tell To, Sharing Life's Journey. And in there, uh, we talk about a tradition that Michael and I have of every December 23rd, we head up to, we live in central Pennsylvania, and we head up to the Hershey Hotel, which is a very famous hotel here locally, and there's this one room, it's called the Iberian Lounge. Mm-hmm. We hope nobody steals our seats, because <laughs> we, we have two chairs that we, 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 we sit in those same chairs right in front of a big fireplace at the end of every year, and we reflect on the year that has been. And we talk about life, we talk about joys and fears and and we're truly vulnerable we practice what we preach with each other and one of our board members recently read our book and he said do you ever feel lonely in that space it's an interesting question um we we don't we that that's kind of our, our space that we've created for each other but i think what he was trying to say to us is to continually invite people into the process for us as entrepreneurs as we grow someone to tell it to and feeling less alone which we we appreciate and and we're trying to do that as 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 entrepreneurs we're it's we're trying to loosen that grip on the steering wheel yeah yeah we're, we're at that place where, where we need to do that yeah and um, yeah it takes some intentionality and some and some thought and and some courage yeah uh, to let go yeah. yeah, to loosen it. And, he, he, I'll propose he may have been offering. I've allowed that I'm totally <laughs> wrong, but my head goes somewhere else with that too. Um, that vulnerability can feel alone. That looking in that mirror, that time and that process, and that real vulnerability can feel really alone. Um, and I think it's important to experience that. I think it's important for um, each of us to, you know, recognize that that's an element of it. It's not the totality of it, and not get stuck there. But if you're not comfortable there, it's going to be hard for you to invite somebody else in and have a trusted because you're already uncomfortable. So now I'm going to bring you in, and then you're going to you're going to sense that, especially an empathetic person, someone who cares and someone who's concerned about you. It's and inter- it's a really interesting dichotomy. It's interesting yeah. also for us because we tend to wear our emotions more on our sleeves, yeah. and we tend to be vulnerable uh, it just comes more naturally to us as opposed to somebody who maybe is more analytical and who internalizes things more and processes internally so 
it's kind of this dance for us of, of and then also knowing when when is the appropriate time to be truly authentic and vulnerable and then not to cross a line either where we're sharing too much yeah so yeah how have you found that process we're supposed to be the ones asking the <laughs> questions. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Hey, buddy. <laughs> it's a great. It's a great question, though. Well, I think that's if if I can, yeah. I'll, I'll come back to the question, give you a chance to think about it. Too. Um, I think it's really important. The power of questions is a really important thing relative to this conversation because if you don't ask questions that go deeper and keep you sometimes the first answer is the easy answer and it's uh, you know it's, it, it satiates you and you think oh, okay but it's probably not the right answer not, probably not the real answer it's probably not the authentic core answer that's down below there mm. so I think it takes some digging to get into that it does and in fact we we know that's the case because of the work that we do in listening to people yeah. we know that um, it's one of the reasons why we don't put necessarily a limit on the time that we're meeting where you know sometimes traditionally there'll be a 50 minutes and that's what that's what you have and we found that 50 minutes is rarely enough yeah. to get beyond the surface for most people and it takes some time and the, the first thing that someone says or the first thing that they say why they're here to to, to, to talk right. with us right. uh, often it, it, that's just a small part of it yeah. that so many cases we learn so much more that's that's it's much much deeper, and and so we're we're very aware of that, and and, and we hope not just on an intellectual basis, but we know it, we know it, you know, intuitively that that we that we have to we ourselves need to go to those deeper places and and not be afraid, even when it's frightening sometimes, but yeah. but to say okay, I, I I will go to this scary place, yeah, and 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 engage because. It's important, necessary. So let's talk about this a little bit more. So like us, there are probably a lot of leaders who tend to wear their emotions on their sleeves. And we remember a quote by Margaret Thatcher, who once said that to wear your heart on your sleeve isn't a very good plan. You should wear it inside where it functions best. It's <laughs> a good quote. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say to leaders who tend to wear their emotions on their sleeve? I think it. I think it depends on how emotionally healthy they are. Um, if they're emotionally healthy, it, it can engender trust. If they're emotionally unhealthy, or they haven't done that look in the mirror piece, and they don't know what some of the some of the misalignments are. Misalignment is really huge um, in integrity and leadership, for my opinion. Um, if I tell you one thing and then I act on another thing, or if I tell you one thing and I tell someone else another thing, the trust the trust in the organization goes way down. So I think it's important uh, to, to go through the work of becoming emotionally healthy so that you can get there. And that's a process, too, that continues to go there so that you can have authenticity. So I think if, you're, I think if your heart is healthy, I'll, I'll go against Margaret and say put it on your sleeve. That's okay. <laughs> no, I think that, that, that actually makes some sense. And uh, because one of the things that we do that's, that's unique to... Uh, certainly, uh, this is not this is rarely, rarely, if ever, done in the you know, therapeutic community. But um, we will share our own vulnerability yeah. at times with the people to whom we're listening. Yeah, you have to model that. When we feel or sense 
that it's appropriate. I mean, we just don't come right out with that. This is not about us working out our problems, and that's that's part of the issue. If we're doing it to just work out our own stuff, then it's bad. But if we have worked through our stuff and and it relates, or in some way there's there's something that we've experienced that we can share with someone else to help them yep. in their process of working through theirs, then we will do that. Yep. And and that's something that we try to when we do training. And for those who want to be listeners, like you know, to join us being listeners, that that it's so important that they're doing it for the right reasons yep. and in the right way. Because if it's about working out their own yep. junk, it's not going to be healthy for anybody, and it's not going to work. It's not going to be helpful. Yeah, I think you summarized my thoughts better than I did. It's, oh, it's, if it's not about you, if it's about someone else, then, then there's some value there in, in having it on your sleeve. Yeah. Um, but I've seen a lot of leaders who make it about themselves, uh, you know, pain and happiness and all kinds of different things. Yeah, actually we've had that, we've had that experience yeah. with people who are making it about themselves. And I think we've learned, I mean, we've learned to kind of close up. Yeah. a little bit and not share as much with those kinds of people because it's it's quickly turned back to them all the time yeah. and 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 yeah and that's not it's not good yeah do you have any good examples from places you've been or people you've worked with where they've expressed authenticity and has been healthy including yourself maybe um yeah, I have, I have a lot of examples because that's kind of it's so fundamental to the business coaching work. So I'm thinking of maybe the most um, specific one. I had a so I had a client years ago who was a very driven individual, very highly successful. Um, had a team of six people to manage the work that he produced, um, and they hated him. They just didn't like him at all because he was a extroverted task oriented person he got the job done and his interest was hey between point a and point b there should be nothing but get the job done but he wasn't a bad person he was a good person he was a, he was a decent person who wanted to accomplish things in his life um but the people around him didn't think so so he went um did a little bit of soul searching and did a little bit of work on how important the the soil was the soil of that team and how it worked and, and the trust and how much they trusted him, did some internal work, started to behave differently, started to treat them with a little bit more kindness, started to treat them with a little bit more, you know, when, when asking how the day was, actually listening um, and paying attention. And at first they thought he was just, you know, using a tactic on them, so they just weighed him out and he would go back to being the same jerk he was before. And um, after months of continuing to do the work, and it was hard work, it's not easy, um, they, they kind of bought in. And it was about a probably three to four month turnaround where he had moved the trust needle to a point where they trusted that he was not a bad person. It's a really difficult thing when people think you're a bad person, whether you are or not. I think a lot of, and, and goes back to the earlier part of one of the uh, challenges we face in communication in general is people make judgments so quickly. Somebody's different than you and you make a judgment on them. So he came around, did some great internal work, difficult internal work, opened himself up to feedback from his team, and they were able to give initially, I would say, a little more sarcastic feedback. Mm -hmm. And then as the relationship grew, they were able to give more authentic feedback, and he became a uh, it became a real a real team that, that did an awful lot of great work together. 
I was just thinking of another example. One of my friends, he, he is a leader at a, at a large company, and he has started practicing listening around the lunch table. Uh, t- there's something significant that happens around the table. Actually, our training is called at the table because we, we find that vulnerability happens around the table, whether it's a boardroom table or your dinner table. Yeah. Anyways, this, uh, this friend of mine, he has made a practice now at his company of during the lunch hour visiting with one of his team members, uh, if not daily, weekly, and he does it all year. And it, at first it was awkward for his, his employees because they just were like, what are you doing right now? Uh, <laughs> I just want to enjoy my lunch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be interrogated yeah. here or whatever. But, but he was feeling. just saying now that they've developed more trust and they trust him as a leader, that uh, they they've opened up more. You know, they've peeled back the onion, and, and they can they can be honest about both personal and professional matters. Yeah, and they're willing to do more. It was the thought I had in my head a little bit ago is that so many of when you deal with a business owner, you're working with the leader. They have this whole other thing called a job to do, right? They've got all these other. Expectations and and things and people that they're accountable to, and you want me to go look in the mirror and <laughs> do some listening or meditation, or you know, and and get into uh, vulnerability. Well, I've got I've got deadlines and I've got payrolls and things to meet, so it's an interesting balance to f- help them carve that time out. The best usually do. Yeah. What inspired you to do what you're doing? inspired you to you know believe in the power of listening and of communicating well and then to be a leader in uh, in this in communication um, I've seen it change lives it's changed my life dramatically um, certainly from if you would have asked anyone around me when I was 19 year old years old where I was headed they wouldn't uh, they would not have projected this um, <laughs> So uh, some of the fundamental skills that I've learned, there are some things that you can learn where you can learn the technique or tactic in five minutes, and then if you practice it over time, it literally changes your life because you become more respectful of other people or you learn how to manage your time or there's so many little strategies and things that can, that can change you. So um, the impact that it's had on my life has been dramatic, marked, um, and easy, easy to touch on. Um, the impact and the, the, the feedback that I've gotten from 20 years of practicing and working with people um, who have little wins. It, a lot of the ones that work for me are the people who come back and say, yeah, it was a really great sales training program, but I went home and I talked to my wife for the first time about something I felt really weird about, and we got through it. Um, and yeah, I made more money next year because of, you know, or the following year because of the things that we learned. But I have a different relationship with my kids. I have a different relationship with my church members. I have a different relationship with the people in my life. So I think that's what continued to drive me to do the work. Mm-hmm. Um, we were actually going to ask you what some of your greatest successes, and that's a huge success. I, I have been so lucky to, I don't know calling is the right word, but when I found coaching, it's what I knew I loved to do and was really good at it. And, and I was able to dive into that water. Earl Nightingale says there's gold people and there's river people. As long as you're in river people, gold people accomplish a goal and they move on to the next goal and that's how they continue to move through life. River people are, as long as they're in their river of passion, they're contributing and doing things. So I'm more on the, you're a river, on the latter you're a river side. Yeah. Person. <laughs> I, I found when I'm in that environment and, and 
I love I, I actually love people I love to talk to people I love to engage with people um, and I'm curious about people mm. so it's helped me to um, I think learn an awful lot and it also as I would imagine you guys would know um, curiosity is so important to listening if you're not a if, sometimes people struggle with being curious about other people mm-hmm. and it's a really critical skill to to be able to to be curious for those of us for those of you who are active listeners you'll remember in our episode with the guys from the listen first project we had asked them how do you overcome judgments when connecting with people and we will never forget it that uh, graham Bodie, the uh, chief listening officer said that to, to to be marked with wonder Mm-hmm. And that's being curious about people. Like yeah. If we were marked with wonder, then it would help us overcome so many of the divisions yeah. that we see on teams, in our families, yeah. in, all, in all of our relationships. Yeah. And you show genuine interest in someone and you see them change. I mean, you can actually see their physiology change when you earnestly listen to them and, and, you, and, and they can tell that you care and they can tell that you're, you're invested and concerned for them their life changes, their life changes dramatically. So um, to be able to do that as a career has been incredibly rewarding. Mm-hmm. And just, I don't, I'm, I'm a, a lucky fella. Mm-hmm. There's a story that we have, it reminded me of that, that um, there was a woman who we were asked to visit who had a pretty, pretty difficult um, uh, diagnosis of cancer. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we went to see her one day for the first time she lived alone, and um, her her apartment. All the blinds were closed. It was very dark. It was it was gloomy. She was quite downcast. And in, in talking with her, it was actually difficult because she just wasn't saying a lot. We could tell she was very unhappy. She wasn't comfortable. Um, and and you know it was a it was a tough visit, and we felt terrible for her because we could see that she you know she was really struggling. A few weeks later, we went back again. We contacted her and said, can we come and visit again and see how you're doing? And she said, yes. This time, the blinds were up, the lights were on, she was smiling. She was a completely different person. And we noted it and and actually said something to her. I said, you know, and we said, when we were here the other week, you, it was a, it was much different, yeah. but today you're, you know, you're, you're more encouraged, you're, you're more enthusiastic, you're, you're sharing more, you know, you seem happier, you're smiling, and we asked her why, what changed in the last few weeks, and, and her answer was, it was because you, we, had come to visit, that we were curious enough, and then we came back. And, and she realized that, that somebody cared, mm-hmm. where she was feeling as if no one did care. And there are so many people in that situation Absolutely. who don't have someone to talk to or don't feel that Absolutely. someone cares. You can take that to the leadership t- side, too, because there are so many judgments and assessments about what, well, he's the boss. Mm-hmm. So he's A, B, C, D. He's wrapped up into this package or she's wrapped up into this package. And, and, and that is felt. I've, I've worked with so many leaders who just feel isolated. Because they don't, they, they don't have that connection, the ability to get there. In fact, locally, that story got picked up by the Patriot News here in Central Pennsylvania, and it made the front page uh, on Easter Sunday morning, and it was called "Miracles Happen When We Listen." That's great. Yeah, that's a, one of our proudest, you know, proud, proud moments. Yeah. Uh, that that we that we could show how 
showing up, listening, being curious, being filled with wonder, whatever words we want to use for that, make a difference. Change people's lives. So we're about almost out of time here, Dale. We have kind of another fun question to ask you. As we approach... We, we hope it's fun. Yeah, we hope it's fun. <laughs> fun for you guys or fun for everybody. It's fun, it is fun for us. <laughs> it's fun for you. As we approach a new year in just a few weeks, what is one thing you'd like to experience or do in 2020 that you've never done before? Um, I plan on spending uh, about two months on the road next year. Well, two month, one two-month clip. Um, I recently got an RV and I want to go and do a little bit more uh, national work. So um, I have a trip planned that I'm very excited about to do a couple retreats um, on the West Coast and spend some time doing that. So that'll be exciting. That'll be fun. Sounds like fun. And we wish you well. Happy travels. And and, and Dale, we're really grateful that you were here with us today. I appreciate it. We wish you well um, for the holidays and as this year ends and wish you well as you start a new year and we hope that you can do all those you know the things that you want to do and and they continue uh, to do more and in in helping people understand the value and the importance of communication appreciate it thank you thank you Well, friends, that was our last episode of 2019. And we just want to thank any one of you who has tuned in throughout the year. This has been a new initiative for us at Someone to Tell It To. And we are delighted by how well these conversations have gone and how well they've been received. We hope that you feel the same. And we wanted to make a promise and a commitment to you as listeners. If any of you have tuned into almost every episode this year, we'd love to hear from you. What have you learned? What has changed your life? Maybe causing you to think differently about something? Email us, send us a message, and we promise between now and the end of 2019, we will get back with you. So until we listen again.